It is good for us to be together tonight to sing about Jesus and to sing about our hearts. And I think it is safe to say that while we are not perfect people, we are individuals who are trying to be like our Father and trying to be like the Son that we sing about, that we want our hearts to be in tune with Jesus the Christ and with the message of the gospel that he has privileged us to know and to learn from tonight. I invite you to take your Bibles and to follow along. If you'd like to open up to the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, we're going to get there in just a moment or so. Proverbs, chapter 8, there's a number of passages in both the Old and the New Testaments that we're going to look at in the course of our studies together tonight. Thank you so much for being here. We have a number of visitors. We had a bunch of visitors this morning, and here this afternoon and this evening, we have more visitors, and we're very thankful for your presence. We always come together not only to benefit from Bible preaching and singing songs of praise and praying together, but of being mindful of our brethren. And one announcement that uh, we were unable to get to Brother Brian at the outset of our services uh, is from our sister Darcy Simmons, had some recent medical tests done and is just appreciating some prayers at this time. So if you can kind of put that in your notes as well, of things to pray about over the course of the next few days, our sister Darcy is in need of our prayers as she's had some recent medical tests done. You know, it is a pleasure to uh, have prayer requests, not only to be the ones who say, I'd like to, uh, for you to pray for me, but to be the individuals who are the prayers and to be engaged in speaking to our Father on behalf of one another. By the way, we don't make announcements at the outset of services or sometimes at the outset of sermons or at the conclusion of services just because we can't find a more convenient way to start or conclude, but rather because we care about our family and we care about the needs that each other are going through. I'd like to talk tonight in a very practical sense. This may be a sermon that leans a little bit more practical than others about the ways that we communicate. And I could have titled it The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, but I didn't. There are some ugly ways of communication, but there are some ineffective ways of communication. Not only in terms of popular science or popular psychology, but from a biblical point of view, there are some good things that we can do in communicating with one another in our interpersonal relationships. And then there are some bad or ineffective ways that we can go about. And that's true in a marriage situation. I have in my library a book called Communication is Key. And it's all about marriage relationships. And it's not that I've mastered that, but we are constantly working at mastering that as husbands and wives. It's true in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have those interpersonal relationships where we communicate with one another, and it's certainly true in your secular life, which should be married very closely with your Christian life, understand what I'm saying, but in terms of your relationships with your coworkers or with your clients or with your supervisors, there are effective ways of communicating and there are ineffective ways of communicating as well. And so I think you would agree with me that at the outset that communication is key to every relationship that we engage in. Whether you are speaking or you are writing or you are texting, these days we communicate in a lot of different ways. And it's important for us to communicate in effective, good ways. 
I think you would also appreciate at the outset of our study together tonight that relationships, whether it be a husband and wife, whether it be a parent-child, whether it be a boyfriend-girlfriend, whether it be a brother or sister in Christ, whether it be with you and co-workers, can be made better or worse based on how we communicate. And so you can have a really good relationship. If you have a really good relationship with a friend, it's probably because you have good, effective communication. But if you have bad or souring relationships, it's often because the communication isn't where it needs to be. And then a third thing to consider here is that we want to consider, over the course of our study together this afternoon, four simple ways of communication that are not really simple, but yet are complex, but we'll take it down to brass tacks, that have their own respective results. And I'm going to make the argument that three-fourths of the ways that we typically communicate, as I have categorized them, are ineffective, non-Christian, non-Jesus, non-Christ, non-biblical, ineffective. They are ways that make your relationships sour, that make it so that your relationships really struggle. And these are things that we get from scriptures. One of those is positive, and we'll talk about that at the conclusion of our study together this evening. As we think about this subject of communication being so key, I wanted to just outline the four major points before we get into them, which is something that I don't typically do, but I think it's for the benefit of the structure of this sermon. One of those is talking at others. And that's not a typo. That is literally what I mean. It's talking at someone. We'll talk about that here in just two or three minutes. Secondly is the concept of talking about others, which is a way that we communicate from time to time. And you know where we're going with that, with some of the proverbs that we're going to look and some of the passages that we'll examine. A third one that I was thinking about in studying for this lesson some time ago is the idea of talking past Others, Because sometimes you can talk in a way that others just don't really get it. And it's past. I hope that I'm not talking past you tonight. <laughs> That's a very ineffective way of communication. And then the fourth way is talking with others. When you think about this, the first three, talking at, about, or past others, are neither productive nor are they easy alternatives and are harmful to relationships. And it may be that you are here tonight and you've had a relationship, past tense, that is no longer a good relationship with a co-worker, perhaps with a brother or a sister in Christ. I hope that's not the case. Although I will say this, that I'm old enough now to know of Christians whose relationships Communication and interpersonal relationships, not between individuals in the world, but between brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's maybe nothing sadder than a church that is divided or individual brethren who are divided against one another because in part of their poor communication skills. Furthermore, these are sinful ways of communication, which we'll talk about. And then I want us to conclude that only number four, talking with others, is the real source of good, effective, Christ-based communication. So I want to talk about those four. We'll spend just about four or five minutes on each of those things, and then we'll draw our lesson to a close. And I want to start with this idea of talking at others. 
Now you may say, well, isn't that what you're doing? Well, I hope that in some ways it's not that I'm pointed talking at you, but that we're talking and having a conversation together about the scriptures that you and I are so privileged to be able to read together. We are, as the prophet Isaiah said, individuals who look at God's word and say, come, let us reason together. Let us consider these things, whether these things are so. And so one common way of communicating is to talk at a person, which involves three major problems. You know, after I wrote this sermon, I, I realized I wanted to put up an image, but sometimes images don't translate very well uh, because the, you can't see the details from far away. And if you don't have your appropriate glasses like me, sometimes I can't see the PowerPoint very well. Sometimes I can't see the clock very well. Some of you may accuse me of not seeing the clock very well quite often when I'm preaching. But there's a picture, a very famous series of pictures of President Lyndon Johnson. And some of you know where I'm going with this. And it was called the Johnson Treatment. And the pictures show him having someone leaning up against the back of the desk in the Oval Office. And the person would be standing there, and the president, and, and President Johnson was a big, imposing figure, not just physically, but just as a personality, as most presidents typically are. And he would get closer to you, and then he'd get closer to you. And the picture shows the man literally bending over backwards, trying to get away from the president as he's pinned up against the wall or pinned up against the president's desk. That was called the Johnson treatment. It was like, yes, sir, I will do whatever you want me to do, sir. <laughs> And we all understand that that's not pleasant to be talked at, to be talked to. Let me suggest to you three reasons why the Johnson treatment may be effective in politics and may be effective in legislative policy, but it's not necessarily the direction that we want to go. Number one, it involves the concept of attacking a person and not the problem. Let me share with you the first time that I came across that particular statement. I may have shared this story with you at some point in the last few months when I talked about one of my good friends who preached the gospel for some, for some 40 some years. When I called on him, and some of you would know him uh, from Indiana if I were to name his name, and I called on him and I said, I need some help with some marriage counseling. And one of the points that he made is he says, you as a husband and a wife need to make sure that when you are attacking things, you are attacking a problem and not attacking the person. But what we do is we often reverse that. And what we do is we attack a person and we don't attack the problem. And that's so true. You may have a problem with the way someone acts. You may have a problem with the way they handle their finances. You may not like the way that they drive. You may not like the way that they interact with others in the workplace. That's the problem. That's the issue. That's the, the, the deal that needs to be dealt with. But instead, what we like to do, we like to attack the person. And so I'm going to use an illustration that apparently I haven't used in two and a half years. So my hobby... The thing that I enjoy doing the most, I, I don't talk too much about it, but I, I really enjoy basketball. And I, I talk about basketball from time to time to some of you on an intimate level. And I, I really enjoy officiating basketball. I've been doing it for 15 years at the high school and a little bit of uh, college level. And it's, so it's my hobby. It's what I do on the side for fun. And, you know, people say, well, that's not going to sound like fun to me. People, a bunch of people booing at you. And that's true. People do boo at me. 
And, and I, sometimes I can say, well, people boo at me at church sometimes too. No, but you have a coach sometimes will say something to you and you have to respond and have a healthy response and a dialogue and communication with that particular coach in order to get through 40 minutes worth of a game or 32 minutes worth of a game, depending on the level. But here's one of the lines that we draw in the sand. When they say that was the wrong call, that's one thing. When they talk about me personally, say you're, you're to this or you're to that, well now we've crossed a line. Now you've gotten personal. Rather than dealing with the problem, you disagree with the call, you are attacking me. That's crossed a line. So now that calls for either a warning or a technical foul. And the things get ugly from there. You see, when we deal with individuals and the problems that we have and the disagreements that we have, that's where we're able to really solve the problems. But instead, what do we do? When I talk about we, I'm not talking about Christians. I'm talking about human beings. We like to attack people and say, well, that's just your problem. And we make the problem about the person rather than about the problem. Let me suggest, secondly, that a self-focused, prideful attitude is often highly associated with talking at others. Here we are in Proverbs chapter 8 where I asked you to open just a couple of moments or so ago. In verse 12, he says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. We're backing up one verse in chapter 8, verse 12. And find out knowledge and discretion. And then verse 13, the, the heart of what we're trying to argue here this evening is that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. You know, that second phrase in verse 13 is the one that I really wanted us to focus on for just a few seconds. He starts out with the idea of pride. And we know that Solomon has a lot to say on the subject of pride and the dangers that go along with it. But then the very last thing in talking about P words is the word perverse in referencing the mouth. He says, a perverse mouth I hate. When you combine pride with a perverse mouth, you have a dangerous, toxic combination. And that seems to be what we're talking about in the course of our studies together here this evening. And then the third thing that is a danger of talking at others is the idea of questioning someone's motive. We can question someone's choice. We can question someone's uh, decision. But we have to be cautious when we question their motive. And make sure that we are cautious about that. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to ignore certain problems that must be addressed. Because sometimes there are problems that need to be addressed in particular situations. And we're going to talk about some of those at the conclusion of our study together this evening. When you think about talking at others, avoiding talking at others can be aided by an understanding of some basic, what I would call, godly attitudes. And let me suggest two one in the Old Testament, not too far from Proverbs chapter 8 where you're open to, and the other in the New Testament book of Colossians. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, in verse 12, there's a wise statement made by the wise man himself. And he says, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. I'm not going to give any commentary to that. I'm just going to let that... Sit for itself, because I think Solomon speaks for himself. Let me read it one more time. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, 
but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. And then when I was reading that particular verse, I couldn't help but think of the more familiar passage in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, where the inspired writer says, Your speech should always be seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. What's Paul saying there? I will give a little bit of commentary to this. He's simply saying you've got to be cautious with the way that you communicate with people. Because as we have said from this pulpit on numerous occasions, words can hurt. And words can destroy relationships. And there are people who are present here tonight who no longer have friendships because words destroyed or soured those relationships. Because communication matters so very much. And the way that we communicate and the way that we talk and the way that we interact with each other does matter. So that's talking at others. The idea of telling you all the things wrong that you have done with never a sense of reflecting on myself. It's the idea of bending you over against the back of the desk saying this is what you're going to do and you have no choice as to act in any way but this. We want to be people who talk with others which is where we'll conclude in just a few moments. Secondly, we want to talk about talking about others. Consider, if you would, the different words or phrases that are associated with this type of communication. Some of these are biblical words. In fact, all of them uh, are mostly biblical words, uh, depending on the translations that you read from. But, of course, the G word comes up, and that is gossip. Gossip is the idea of talking behind someone's back. And as someone said, it really does take two people to gossip effectively. It takes the person whose mouth is being used, and it takes someone who has a willing and listening ear to say, yes, I'd like to hear that bit of information. Thirdly, the idea of backstabbing or backbiting, which is a very biblical concept as introduced in the, in the New Testament or talked about in the New Testament. And then one of Solomon's favorite New King James Version tales or, or words is the idea of tail-bearing, to be a tail-bearer. Now, speaking of being a tail-bearer, I, 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 every once in a while someone will, will share with me an illustration that uh, I stick in my head and I, I use at an appropriate time. It's the appropriate time. And I hope, I hope he's listening. But there is a man who is a grown-up, mature man who I will not name, Brian Walsh, <laughs> who when he was a child and he was going to tattletale, his mother would put a tail on him and say, you're going to have to wear the tail because you're a tattletale. And he was mortified by that treatment. Look how he's turned out now. I think he's listening out there somewhere. But the fact of the matter is, is being a tailbearer is one where you are sharing secrets or information that doesn't need to be shared. Now, the caveat to this, there are certain things that we have to share with one another. If someone is sick and maybe they don't know they're sick, we may have to have a conversation about their mental health or their physical health, especially someone who is aged. Uh, sometimes you have to interact on their behalf. I'm not talking about uh, children who are in a, a difficult environment and we have to talk about them and say, we've got to do something about this particular person because he or she is in danger or whatever the case may be. You understand what I'm talking about this evening. And that is, 
I would argue that the Bible says an awful lot about the subject of gossip, tail-bearing, talking behind someone's back, and the idea of backbiting or backstabbing. I want to look at just a couple of passages here. First of all, back in the book of Proverbs. And we can spend all of our time just on this subject, just in the book of Proverbs, right? But in Proverbs chapter 16 and in verse 28... And we recently had a good study. Brother David took us through Proverbs. We talked about pride. We talked about gossip. We talked about all of these ugly things. It says here, a perverse man, verse 28, sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Think about that last statement. A whisperer separates the best of friends. Have you ever known good friends who are now separated because of a whisperer, and I do. I know of individuals, even in the church, that once were friends. You say, well, I hope we're all friends, and I, you understand what I'm saying. These were closer friends. They got along with each other. They'd go shopping together. They would hang out with one another. But those relationships were hindered because of a gossip or because of a whisperer. Turn over, if you would, to Proverbs Chapter 17, while you're there, and in verse 9, he who repeats a matter, this is chapter 17, verse 9, part B, he who repeats a matter separates friends. And so this is certainly something Solomon wanted us to get at and to appreciate. I had our scripture reading to be Ephesians 4 and verse 29. And those of you know who know me, which is all of you, and you get to know my preaching, Know that this is one of my favorite verses. It is again a verse that was first introduced to me in a, in a marriage difficult situation. Where it says, let no corrupt communication or no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Don't say anything unless it's for the purpose of building up or assisting or helping. And that reminds me of the preacher as I've told the story before, who had the yellow pad on his desk. And when someone would come into his office and say, I need to talk to you about sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, he'd say, first, before you do so, I want you to put down that brother or sister's name, and I want you to sign next to her that you're here to talk about them. The yellow pad remained blank for a number of years. In fact, for all of his life, the yellow pad remained blank because no one wanted to be on the record for talking about that particular brother or sister. More about that at the conclusion of our study here in just a couple of moments. And then a third passage that I wanted us to consider for just a moment is 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, besides they... Speaking of the younger widows who, in a culture where if they were not remarried, uh, could be prone to particular behaviors, he says they learn to be idle. And, and I think that this application goes beyond just younger widows. I, I, I'm not trying to dismiss the context of 1 Timothy chapter 5, but I think this is universal to men and to women, and young and old, married and unmarried. He says, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, that's I-D-L-E, that's not I-D-O-L, right? Not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Have you ever met someone who says things which they ought not be saying? I have. Have I ever said things that I ought not say? Probably I have. And I'm not proud of that. It's not something that I say flippantly because... 
look at me. But it's just that we are human beings who sometimes love being the information gatherers and then the information deliverers. And as I said in the sermon about three to five months ago, there is nothing wrong with being able to have a secret and to keep the secret about someone's weakness, about someone's uh, uh, private uh, struggles that they share with you. You know, one of the things we talked about, Mitch did a great job in closing out our study of James to the young people last night, is that we ought to be individuals who are able to apply James chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, confess your trespasses to one another. I ought to be able to go to Brother Smith or to Sister Jones and say, here's the deal. Here's something that I'd like to talk to you about. And it's an issue that I'm struggling with, and maybe it's pride, or maybe it's a particular uh, sinful behavior that, uh, and, and be able to share with that person, will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? You ought to be able to have that confidence, and then that person's not going to go and share that information with others. I also, in that sermon three to five months ago, shared with you a, an example of a person that I know that is not a Christian, uh, that will flat out tell you, do not tell me something you do not want told to someone else because I cannot keep my mouth shut. You got to appreciate that person's uh, <coughs> honesty, uh, which I appreciate that. But the person says, do not tell me secrets. And they may be innocent secrets, like you've got a present for someone and you bought them a nice piece of jewelry or whatever the case may be. Or it may be something more... Uh, Nuanced in, in the sense of, of sinful behavior or embarrassing tendencies. Don't tell me that because i got to go tell someone else. you got to admire the fact that the person says, don't tell me. But that's not a good attitude to have. That's not the good uh, way of communicating with others. Let me suggest to you, finally, James chapter 4 and verse 11, where he says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. One of James's favorite terms. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you are instead a judge. So I think it's important for us to appreciate what it means to talk about others. Let me suggest to you also why it is that talking about others is such a problem. Let me share with you three quick reasons here before we get to our final slide. And that is number one, when you have a concern about someone or you have a concern with someone, you don't solve the problem by talking to everyone but that person about that particular problem. And I know, I, I think I've shared this example. This is one of the things, and I, and I admire David, uh, who has the, you know, has been here a little bit longer than I've been here. Sometimes you forget which illustrations you've used to make the point. But I, this just stuck with me. Probably 10 years ago, I made a point in a sermon that a couple of people disagreed with. I don't remember what the point was. I don't think it was anything really significant, but it was significant enough that a couple of people took offense with it. And about two weeks later, a brother in Christ came to me and he said, you know that there are a number of people who are upset with that point that you made two weeks ago. And I just looked at him and I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He says, are you serious? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Because apparently the people, and they ought not be, doing, ought not be saying such things, are talking about an issue 
with something that I had said. Nothing wrong with having an issue with something I said. If I've said something wrong or incorrect, please bring it to my attention. But don't bring it to everyone else's attention and fail to bring it to me. Because I'm really smart. I know that. But I am not smart enough to read your mind. And I'm not that smart. I'm joking on that particular point. But I can't read minds. So if you've got a problem with something that I've said, that's very fair because I'm, I'm going to make some mistakes and say some things that I ought not. But when you have a concern, you've got to go to that person. And I think one of the reasons that we're reluctant to do so is I don't want to be the mean guy. You're the mean guy when you go to everybody else and share the message with them. And you can't solve the problem accordingly. Secondly, talking behind someone's back is a surefire way of ruining relationships. Proverbs 16, Proverbs 17, verse 9 talks about the severing of those relationships. And thirdly, I think uh, maybe one of the most important concepts for us to appreciate is that when we gossip, it makes us look like the world. I appreciate Brother David's sermon this morning, and I appreciate his reference to 1 Peter chapter 4. They think it's strange that you do not participate with them in the same flood of dissipation. But in two, in two chapters prior to that, Peter seems to kind of hint at this concept a little bit more when he says, I am begging you as sojourners and pilgrims. I'm begging you in the fact that this world is not your home. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul and have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. And there are so many things that you can insert into verse 12 as an application for that. But I think you can all agree that gossip can be in verses 11 and 12. Gossip can be in chapter 4 verse 3 as well in the same flood of dissipation of the worldly ways of communication and inactivity. So the point is clearly made, and that is we need to be cautious about distinguishing ourselves from the world. Let me suggest to you thirdly here before we get to our final slide, and that is this concept of talking past others. This mode of communication seems to me to result in a failure to listen or a failure to connect. I have a book in my library as well called Everyone Communicates But Not Everyone Connects. And the whole point of that book is simply that everyone has the ability to share ideas back and forth, but sometimes we don't connect or link up. Uh, I might uh, have a sermon from time to time and you say, just didn't quite click. And that's okay. Not every sermon has to click. Uh, I hope it's always the truth, but it may not always click for you. And you may not always get the point that I'm trying to make. And that's not the end of the world and neither of us should lose too much sleep over that. But sometimes you are in a, in a class listening to the professor. Sometimes you're listening to your parents trying to explain to you a mathematical equation. And you say, I just don't get it. I hear what you're saying, but I don't hear what you're saying, right? And so that's part of communication as well. Let me suggest to you three little things that I mean by this. One of those is being overly argumentative. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 24, 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, he says, A servant of the Lord, and I know that we're ignoring the context here, but I, I, the point is made without really delving into the context. He says, A servant of the Lord, Timothy, must not quarrel, but be gentle, be able to teach, and be patient. And verse 25, be a person of humility. There are, again, people in the world that I have known that are overly argumentative. 
that seem to thrive on arguing. If you tell them that the sky is blue, they will find every way possible to tell you why the sky is not blue. If you tell them the grass is green, except when it's brown, like this time of the year when we're lacking the water that we need and winter is set in, they'll argue about that color as well. They'll argue about everything that there is. And while there's nothing wrong with having healthy debate and disagreement is okay, even the apostles disagreed over certain things that God didn't seem to care too much about, we can't be people who are overly argumentative and say, well, it's got to be my way or the highway. Now, let me tell you why it's that way. And with the moment I start speaking, I'm now talking past you. And you're no longer even listening to me because I'm just talking over your head, talking past you. Let me suggest to you, secondly, and again, this is one of the things I mentioned very practical in the nature of our study together this evening, is being focused on a rebuttal only. You ever talk to someone and you look at their eyes and you know they're not even listening to you anymore? What are they doing? They're thinking of what they're going to say back to you to refute your argument. They're not considering your argument. You may be having a really difficult conversation about something spiritual uh, or maybe something technical in the workplace. And they're not listening to you. James chapter 1 doesn't really talk about this, but yet James chapter 1 talks about this. You understand what I'm saying? He says, My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, but be slow to speak and slow to wrath. And to the right of that particular passage or left, depending on where it falls on your page, you might just write down this simple five-letter word, think. Just take a moment and think. Think about what the person has said. Okay, that's interesting. I may not agree with that, but let me, let me think about it. Let me give it some thought. And it may be that you need to think about that for more than just three seconds, and now you've got your rebuttal. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm not sure. I don't know. And I remember one of the things that I learned from a very young age, not just in terms of, of, of biblical preaching, but just in terms of life, was that there's nothing wrong with someone coming to you having an idea, I'm not talking about a false doctrine, I'm talking about a different idea about the way that you can do this, solve this problem or deal with this challenge, and you say, I'm just not sure about that. Let me, let me give that some thought. That does not make you a weak person. That does not make you a pushover. It, in fact, makes you a rather mature individual. And thirdly, being overly, what I would call, pessimistic. Don't be a non-Nehemiah. Or I could have suggested just be Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah was one of the most optimistic individuals in the Bible, it seems to me. There's a lot of optimistic people in, in God's Word. But Nehemiah was the person who says, we can get the job done. We are not going to allow uh, Sanballat and Tobiah uh, and these other foes of God's work to get us uh, distracted. We will do what we need to do. We have no need to leave the plains of, and come down to the, to the plains of Ono, he says there in chapter 4 and 5. And instead, we have great work to do. Let me suggest to you in our final slide together tonight about the idea of talking with others. Because I believe that as taught in Matthew and in James and Ephesians and probably 15 other places, that the true Christian spirit is one where we have a genuine concern for one another and a willingness to really apply or practice what we commonly refer to as the golden rule. That is, the way that we would want to be treated is the way that we treat others. 
with the same measure that we measure out, others would measure toward us in the words of Jesus in the great sermon on the mountaintop. And so there are two passages that come to mind that are beyond the scope of our time together tonight. But I do want to read those seven verses here very quickly. Five in Matthew and two in James. Matthew chapter 18, there's a a study or two just in those few verses here. Verses 1 through 5. It says, At the time the disciples came to Jesus, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and sent him in the midst and said, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. I don't think it is accidental that this concept of humility, of childlike innocence, of a dependency on a parent. There's so many different lessons we get out of Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. Immediately is followed by verses 15, 16, and 17. Perhaps the more familiar verses that talk about the way that we communicate with one another. Because there's a difference in communicating with others... Versus communicating at or about or past others. And that then brings us to the second to last passage that I wanted us to focus on. And that is James chapter 5. Again, a passage that we examined in our young people study last night. Verses 19 and 20 where it says, Brethren, if anyone, that's anyone, not just the preacher, not just the elder, uh, not just uh, uh, the member who happens to clean the building, everyone. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone, that's anyone as well. It's another fancy way of saying anyone, right? <coughs> turns him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It seems to me that this type of communication only works if we refuse to engage and do the first three. But how many times do we violate the last passage that I referenced, Ephesians 4.29, which we uh, have memorized by this point. Let no corrupt communication, no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, except that which is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. I would urge you to memorize Ephesians 4.29 if you haven't already. I would urge you to put that in your brain. Talk in ways that build others up and impart grace and not to tear them down. That doesn't mean that we don't have difficult conversations sometimes. Because sometimes it's necessary to have difficult conversations. When someone is in sin, I can't say, well, I don't want to tear him down, so I'm not going to share with him the danger of sin. Like we talked about last night, and I appreciate Brother Mitch's example. It's like someone walking ready to fall into a ditch or fall into a pit. We say, well, I hope you don't fall in. And we say kind of quietly, he's don't want to offend them. No, we yell out, don't fall into that pit. Don't fall into the ditch. You are in danger. And of course, to those who are not Christians, you are in danger tonight. Because your life is not right with God. But let me just suggest to you that it is impossible for us as Christians to engage in effective Christ-like communication while being engaged in the kinds of communication that we outlined as being inappropriate, unnecessary, non-productive, and non-Christian. 
Another way of putting that, it's impossible to engage in ineffective unchristian communication and also be 100% doing the will of the Lord. And so communication does matter. Putting it into action, putting these three things into action is often difficult. Consider some think hints. See gossip the way the Lord sees it. A quick way to stop gossip is to refuse to listen. And thirdly, consider how you feel if others talked about you. Those are things that I wanted us to conclude with tonight. And I hope that we, as we close out this day, as we close out this 2021, and as we think about resolutions for 2022, can think about ways that we can communicate in more effective, Christ-like ways. If we can help you to do that, we would love the opportunity to assist. If you are a child of God and your communication is not what it needs to be, and you need to make some sort of correction, we'd help you tonight. But we can't read your mind. We need you to come forward and say, I'm struggling with gossip. I'm struggling with you fill in the blank of whatever your struggle is. And we will pray for you and we will pray with you. If you're not a Christian, we are begging you, pleading with you to be baptized or at least to study on the subject. And say, I'm willing to think about it. I'm willing to consider these things. And we'll reason together from the scriptures. If we can help you in any way, let us know while we stand and while we sing.